It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Cowboys, your daily podcast on the Dallas Cowboys. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Cowboys podcast, part of the Locked On Cowboys Locked On Podcast Network. I messed it up, but we're going to keep going. Thank keep you for going. tuning in. <laughs> I am your host, Marcus Mosher. Man, it's been a long time since I've messed up the intro. Uh, that's Landon. <laughs> this, this I'm Marcus. The, this is the first time that I, I, know, that I, I think you've, I've ever noticed it, so congrats. Right. Uh, yeah, let's just jump right in it. Um, coming up on today's show, we're going to answer your guys' Twitter questions. Um, and I want to start with a question from Joe, because... Uh, I, I really like this question. I was walking around my house trying to figure out the answer to this question, and I, I'm curious to hear what you think. Uh, Landon, he wants to know, assuming Amari Cooper leads the Cowboys in receptions, who comes in second? Because hmm. I think the the that obvious answer is Michael Gallup, right? That, that's what everybody's going to go to. I right? don't know that that is the op- the obvious one. I be, okay. I, I think I think Gallup is definitely one of several people that is in the running. I think Gallup. I think you know you have to think about Witten. Uh, wait, 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 that's that's who I'm picking. I think it's I think I, it's going to be Jason Witten. I think you know, Cobb could be in there, but I think Ezekiel Elliott is also a name to keep in mind. Seventy-seven um, receptions last year. Second yeah. most on the team. So, huh? Hmm. I'm gonna go with Gallup. I think because I, I think th- there's gonna be opportunity there. Okay, let me ask you Man, this I question. I don't know. It's, he's not if, a high volume receiver though. That's the no, thing. Is he, it like he's not? It seems like sixty catches is kind of like where he's good, like the over under should be at, right? Yeah, I think sixty's probably good. Yeah, okay. that's the thing is that I think I think Zeke is where I would like to answer, but at the same time, I feel like Zeke will probably come down a little bit as they try to get the the ball to Pollard. But Pollard mm-hmm. may also steal from Witten, I think, and like, I, I, and I don't know that Witten is is going to get as many snaps. You know, I think he'll still get a lot, but I don't know that he'll get as many snaps as he has before. It's a very difficult question, frankly. It is. So let me let me ask you this. If I were to set the number of receptions by the number two receiver on the Cowboys, right, the second leading receiver, at 70, would you say over or under? Just If you took the field, will any other receiver other than Amari Cooper get more than 70 receptions this year? No. I'm going to say no. 
and that's kind of how I feel, right? Like it would not surprise me if Jason Witten is their second leading receiver at 63 receptions. I feel like that's very possible, and I feel like that's what Kellen Moore wants, right? He doesn't want the offense to be reliant on two or three players. He wants this to really spread the ball around, get a lot of different guys on the field, and depending on the matchups and depending on the opponent, uh, that's who they're going to feed the ball to. Like, it won't surprise me if there's a couple games where Witten catches seven passes, and then the very next week he catches one ball. I, I think that's kind of likely. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you game plan based on your opponent as opposed to for, forcing your will. I think you have a, a versatile team that can do a lot of different things a lot of different ways, and you take advantage of that to exploit matchups. Yeah. Um, let's let's go ahead and go to a different question. I like that one a lot. It's a good question, Joe. Uh, the next question comes from Scott, and there's a reason why people are starting to ask this question. Uh, but... He's wondering about the backup quarterback competition and whether oh they should God. bring in a veteran. Now, I'm glad that you had that reaction because I had to say it. Uh, so I'm just so tired of the conversation already at this point. It's just, uh, go ahead, let's we go. Are, we are, we are, we're recording this after one minicamp practice. So, all right, so the report was yesterday that Cooper Rush struggled in some of the team periods. He was intercepted a couple times, I believe once by Donovan Wilson, and that led to some people suggesting that the Cowboys should go out and sign a veteran quarterback. Uh, do you believe this, Landon? Let's, let's, let's even back it up, because that's not even where it started. Where it started was a couple days before when this, the people at the dot-com site couldn't find anything bad to talk about this team at any point, so they decided that the thing that they just they were going to talk about being worried about was the backup quarterback situation. Then, when Cooper Rush goes out there and has a terrible day, admittedly a terrible day, he, he I think he ended up throwing three interceptions. Um, Who cares? And, and yeah, I mean, again, like I just this is. Of course it's a competition. Like, of course what's going on right now is a competition. Um, is is But it's not really a competition for our eyes, you know? Like, I, I mean, I, I think that the coaches know better than we do what's going on and what the, what the actual... Uh, and let's also keep in mind that the information that we're getting is Cooper threw three interceptions. Like, no... No, I mean, we may get a little bit more specifics, but, you know, nothing else outside of that. So I think that there's a lot of variables that go into a lot of affecting a quarterback's play, especially when you're talking about second and third roster quarterbacks, because the the talent disparity, you know, it's, you know, when you're talking about a first team offense versus first team defense, like the talent disparity is, is not that intense because everyone's pretty good. But when you're talking right. about the second team and the third team, it's like it, the disparity's crazy. Like even within the offense and the defense, like the guy that is a tight end may not even be you know, roster worthy, and he may be playing next to a tackle who you know would start on most teams. So you know what I'm saying? Like, so I guess my point is is that I really have a hard time taking in OTA throws and interceptions, especially mini camp throws and interceptions, especially. Uh, you know, non-live contact throws and stuff as as good or bad. You know, even for the, like the the reports of that about Dak and all that, it's like I, I I'll go the other way. I, I think 
it's great that he's throwing the ball accurately, but it doesn't really mean anything until no. it's time to, until the, the bodies are at his feet, until he has to readjust his throwing motion against a guy who is trying to kill him, and then reset them and then throw it. That's that's when I know that that the the improvements in accuracy are there. And I believe they will be, but I'm saying it's 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 folly to say that they are until that happens. And I think what's going on here is, you know, look. Are they set up at the best backup quarterback situation? Probably not. I mean, I think there's, they're, they're banking on a lot of upside. But the other thing that they're banking on is that Dak is not Tony Romo. You know, and that when you have Tony Romo on your team, as fantastic as Tony Romo was, you still had to pay a lot of money, not only to Tony Romo, but to his backup because Kyle you could Orton, not necessarily yep. rely that Tony was going to finish a season. Sure. Dak has not given us any kind of indication that he's going to have a problem missing long stretches of games. Like, he's, he's he seems incredibly durable. It's not just, I think injury is luck, but I think... He obviously has a physique that is built to take punishment. He's built like a linebacker, you sure, know? Yeah. And, and so I, I just think that one of the benefits of having a young, strong quarterback is not having to worry about as much the backup quarterback situation and certainly not worrying about it at this point when you have two still very young quarterbacks who are trying to figure out their way with the new offensive coordinator, and, and this is the first mini camp practice. Um, my, my favorite thing that everybody does is they say the Cowboys need to go out and sign a veteran quarterback. Let me give you the list of veteran mm. quarterbacks that are out there right now, and you tell me which one of these guys the Cowboys have to bring in to, to play over Cooper Rush. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, Matt Castle, Brandon Whedon, Brad Kaya, Brock Osweiler, Brandon Silvers, Josh McCown, Landry Jones, Joe Callahan, Austin Davis, Josh Johnson, Mark Sanchez. Uh, are yeah, there any guys there it, that are just jumping off the screen for you? I, I mean, three of them are jumping off the screen because they've already been terrible for the Cowboys. I, you know, Castle, I, I Whedon, think, Sanchez. <laughs> yes, and, and so I think my my thing is is that you look, you look at the veteran quarterback market, you look at what you've got, and, and you say, hey, what's more likely that that by the time the training training camp is done or the regular season gets here, that it, who's more likely to be uh, a better player or at least an ascending player or playing at a better rate. Mike White that I'm coaching up and getting all the reps potentially to, or Mark Sanchez who's going to come in here and then still going to eat up a whole bunch of reps to fi- try to learn this. Well, maybe not Sanchez is a bad example, but if we brought in a- another guy who hadn't been in the system, right? Like, you know, you're going to have to give Rock this guy all those reps, and and you still don't even know if he'll be any good. Like, but you know, well, and, and at the end of it, all you've guys, got is most of these guys aren't good. That's the reason no, why they're still. In that's the reason they're on the streets. You at least have potential with these guys on the team. Coach them up. Give them the coaching. If it doesn't work, those that guys are still going to be there. And if not, they'll have even better guys probably on the street right. because right. You'll, you'll have you know other maybe newer castaways that you we, could try out. I, I just don't understand this whole thing of bringing in a quarterback to eat into a, a young player's reps when this is the whole reason you carry these guys. The right. entire reason that you carry two backup quarterbacks is so that they can go through OTAs and training camp to get the seasoning. It's not so you can have them in the offseason. That holds almost no value. It's getting right. them into OTAs, into minicamp, into training camp to give them those reps and see how they grow in those reps. Uh, we already know these guys are bad. The guys that I just listed. We're 
the thing is, we don't know yet if Cooper we don't know Russian, yet. Yeah, Mike exactly. White or bad. The other good thing is these guys are cheap. Those other guys, are, you're going to have to pay at least a veteran minimum, which is significantly more than what you'll pay Cooper Rush and Mike White. So uh, give me the unknown potentially bad guy over the more expensive, already known bad old guy. Uh, sounds sounds like an easy equation to me. Um, I, I like getting you fired up about minicamp practices and Cowboys needing to go out and get a quarterback. This this is always exciting. You, you, you get pretty fired <laughs> up. Um, all right, let's go ahead and answer some more of your questions. Uh, Jad wants to know, uh, who do you think will start on the Cowboys' interior defensive line in week one? If you had to guess the starters there, Landon, who would you guess? I would guess that probably it would be Malik Collins and, and Woods. You know, yeah, I, I just agree. think that I, I, unless Collins gets injured, you know, he's going to show out. He's in a contract year. Like, and that's nothing against Tyreek. I mean, uh, Tyreek Hill. Wow. Uh, Tristan Hill. Like, Tristan Hill. I, I, I think it's, I, I think it's more just that, you know, that Collins is a good player when he's healthy. And I think that if he is healthy to start the season, uh, you know, it's going to be a difficult uh, uh, battle. To, I mean, just because even if Tristan Hill is good, it's going to be difficult to try to you know, usurp him in that spot. I think Tristan Hill is likely to be a, a guy who is, you know, a rotational pass rushing defensive tackle early on and then working his way as a, in a full rotation. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. you know, eventually by the end of the season, maybe taking that job over and taking the lead job over. Uh, he's going to get a lot of usage, uh, but I don't know that it necessarily means. Uh, that they're going to have, you know, right away. Uh, Tristan Hill is your your day one starter. They they still really like Malik Collins, and, and for good reason. Like I said, the the guys when his foot is is right and he's right, he plays at an extremely high level for a, a, an under tackle. Right. I I think the best case scenario for all parties involved is have Collins start, bring Tristan Hill off the bench for what. What's the ideal amount of snaps? 12, 20 snaps a game? Does that 20 seem about probably, right? yeah. I mean, like, it, yeah. well, I mean, and honestly, all that also depends on, look, it, what happens with Randy Gregory? Does Randy Gregory get reinstated? And if so, does that mean Tyrone Crawford is starting to play some under tackle as well? Mm-hmm. And then how does that rotation come out? Do you kick Collins into one technique? Like, there's just a lot of things that can affect usage that don't even necessarily have to do with how well or how poorly they're playing sure. you know that, that which is obviously the biggest equation so right. i think it's really Kerry difficult Hyder to project this point and there's Kerry yeah. Hyder there's Chris Covington who obviously they like a little bit um yeah it's going to be hard to tell but we'll have a pretty good idea probably in training camp how much uh Tristan Hill is going to get involved if you see him kind of taking snaps with the ones early on in in uh training camp we'll probably have a good idea that he's going to be on the field sooner rather than later um, this next question comes um, from I'm trying to find it. Oh, from Chris. Um, he wants to know: Is Kellen Moore actually going to utilize Rico Gathers this year? Actually, a couple of people have asked about Rico Gathers. I, I kind of can't see it. I kind of think Rico at best is going to be your fourth tight end, more of a, in jumbo sets as a blocker. Uh, do you see an expanded role for Rico this year, Landon? Um, I don't. I mean, I, I think. You know, maybe he, if he makes the team, he gets used, like, as a specific weapon a little bit better. Um, you know, as a tight end, as a, as a red zone threat. I, I think it's going to be difficult to kind of get him on the team like that. But if he does, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, really, I think that they're going to do a lot more things with the fullback position. So I, I think that's going to limit... 
okay. a lot of these tied in. What'd you say? I said, that's good. We have another question about about the fullback. I want to save that one. We'll go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, no, I, I, so I think that it's going to limit tight end snaps to a certain degree. And so those tight end snaps, you've already got, you know, Jarwin. And I think I still really like Schultz. And I, so I think that they're going to try to get those guys involved. So I just don't know how there's room on the team and then therefore room, obviously, on the field for Rico. I, I just, I, It's just there's too many mouths to feed, I think. And, and I don't know that there's enough return on him to uh, keep him on the team. Yeah, I think a good season or a good uh, you know, plan for Rico is if he can match the snap total that he had last year, I think that means he improves significantly considering that you have Jason Witten back on the roster. For Rico, you're just, you just want him to make the team and you want him to have some kind of role. Because uh, I think we did see an improvement from him last year, yeah. but I don't think we're ready sure. for him to be a full-time receiving red zone option yet. Um, I do want to talk about Jameez Olawali. Uh, our friend at Cowboys Nation <laughs> wants to know how much of the offense will be designed <laughs> around Jameez Olawali and then your co-host on the uh, Best Coast Boys podcast uh, kind of replied and said, would be easier to say the parts of the offense that Olawali won't be designed or that won't be designed around Olawali. We know that you love fullbacks, Landon. Talk to us about Olawali in 2019. Well, it's in there having a little bit of fun with me, obviously. Because, sure. but I mean, because last night I saw when I was watching, uh, just was rewatching the late season Redskins game, and I so, <laughs> I posted that video. It was just like it's it was like the conspiracy theory. I I, I felt like I don't know if it, who's seen that movie PCU, where the the guys are watching, where they have that one guy who has a thesis and he's basically watching TV the whole time, and, and he finally sees the scene that Sherry shares the two actors that he's writing his thesis on at the same time, and it's like a a crystallizing moment that like you know, and, and that's what I saw when I saw Jamey Zolawali take that dump off pass run for a first down, and then uh, get patted on the back in that video by uh, Kellen Moore. I was like, ha-ha! <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just very funny. But, no, I mean, I, I think, look, I said it before. There's a reason they went and re-signed Olawali first. I, th- I, I really do believe that. I don't know that it's Olawali specifically that... Uh, how do I say this? I, I, I don't know that it's Olawali that I think specifically that they want to use more. I think it's the idea of having a more versatile fullback type player on the field. Because mm-hmm. I think and Olawali is that, so that's why they re-signed him because he's familiar with the offense to a certain degree. I mean, he was on the team last year. Um, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if and if if you if you watch the Redskins game, I mean, that's that's what I was watching is it, it felt like that's really when you started to see some of the things that you could imagine where Kellen Moore influences on the Scott Linehan offense started to filter in a little bit, right? And part of that felt like a lot of 21 personnel usage. Um, but I think that the idea in general to me is that you can get a lot more versatility when you have a, a fullback or an H-back type player who has some receiving ability, who can block, who can do, who's, you know, like what they call in baseball a, a, a four-tool player, right? Mm-hmm. A three-tool player. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a baseball fan. The, the, kind of guy that, go, the, the kind of guy who can do a little bit of everything well, right? Like, and, and I think that when you have a player like that on the field, it makes matching up against them very difficult because really, you know, they can kind of, the offense can kind of make the defense wrong no matter what they do. And, and I think so what happens is that, you know, and I think analytics backs this up to a certain degree because if you look at, you know, where the best 
passing formation, you know, success is. It's running. It's it's running it out of of, of run formations. It's th- it's throwing out of run formations, and I think twenty one personnel You're is right, one of yes. those run formations that where the, you see a lot of the of the most success. So I, I think it helps dictate what coverages the defense can run, um, and I think if you can find uh, a guy like Olawali, who you know is he he's not a world beater. But the problem is, is that he presents is that he's a very difficult matchup. Like, who do you put? Who's the defensive chess piece that you put on the field to counter Olawali? I mean, if he if you know that he's just being a fullback who's running and blocking, you don't need to like account for him. He's just a guy, right. a, a, a middling fullback, really, to be honest, an average fullback at best. But if you look at him as a versatile piece who at any point could motion out, run a route, who could catch a pass in the flat, and, and, and he has good quickness and speed, especially for a guy his size, you know, it, it, when you look at him as a versatile piece who could do a little bit of everything, well, now the defensive coordinator has to stop and think when he's on the field. It's like, okay, well, you know, if he goes out in the pass, if he goes out in the flat, who's covering him? Is it a linebacker? Because a linebacker, if he doesn't get his hands on him immediately, he's going to get run away from. And if we're in man and everyone's got their back to him, this guy could rumble 15 yards without ever touching him. So it's that kind of stuff that when you have a versatile player who he can block on you this play, he, at any given play he can do a variety of things, uh, it, it first of all, it doesn't tip off what your team's going to do by formation, which is incredibly useful, and I think Kellen Moore will find useful. Uh, but then on top of that, you, you can attack the team, uh, the defense, how, however they present it to you. You can change it up if, if you see a matchup that you like, and you're like, oh, they're in a small nickel package to counter our pass. Let's run the ball with a fullback. Let's let's you know let's have our let's have our fullback take on a strong safety, and, and let's get Zeke outside. All right, so a couple things because I, I love all those points you made. Uh, first of all, just to give you a little bit of um, some data, last year across the NFL, teams averaged 8.1 yards per attempt when passing out of 21 personnel last year. Uh, that's ridiculously high. When you when you have that much success passing out of that, you, you would think that teams would be more likely to do that, but teams just don't carry fullbacks on the roster. So a lot of times, if they're having if they're in 21 personnel, it's either you know two split backs or it's a a guy that can do a little bit of both. Um, the Cowboys could be set up well there. Uh, 12 personnel, just to give you a per, you know frame of reference, also at 8.1 yards per attempt. 11 personnel, all the way down to 7.1 yards per attempt. So that's that's a pretty big gap in passing efficiency. But um, at the same time, alternately, 11 personnel, which is a passing formation. I mean, just by virtue yes. of having three wide receivers, look at the the yardage yards per attempt, the the the, the run success that they have out of that. I, I think the one thing that we found out from analytics last year is it is beneficial to run out of pass formations and yes. pass out of run formations. Absolutely. Uh, last year, teams across the NFL averaged almost five yards of attempt running out of 11 personnel, uh, 4.61 out of 21 personnel, all the way down to 4.3 in 12 personnel. So if you're going to run, you're best to do it out of you know 11 or, or 21 personnel, more receivers on the field, or and then passing, you're better off to have actually less receivers on the field, which sounds weird. Um just this is kind of a real quick side thing, and we'll we'll finish the podcast on this. Do you think with people looking more at this data, do you think that H backs will kind of make it an evolution back into the NFL? Because it's been a while since we've really had a dominant H back. I mean, I I kind of think Ola Wally is more of an H back than he is a fullback. Uh, I'm thinking of guys like 
uh, Jim Klassensire, who played for yep. the, the Vikings, uh, Chris Cooley for the Redskins, although he was more of a tight end than an H-back. Uh, but there, do we think we'll get some more of those guys here down the road? I've been calling for it for a long time. I mean, anybody who knows me or followed me on Twitter for any length of time, I'm obs- I've been obsessed with these types of players for a long time because of all the reasons that I laid out. And it feels like they're finally catching on to this as well. I, I think that they're difficult players to find at times because – you know, you got to be an incredible athlete, and you got to be incredibly smart because you have to understand all the different jobs that are assigned to you. It's like being a tight end to a certain degree, uh, except you know you're even maybe more athletic, except a smaller, more athletic running back, tight end, wide receiver kind of hybrid position, right? Sure. Um, yeah, who's I mean, the I, ideal I think player that the, for this, like, who, who's who's the prototype here? Well, I think Charles Clay, when he came out, was really, you know, uh, uh, or who's the kid, the guy from uh, Tennessee who's older now, Delaney Walker. Delaney, Delaney Walker. I think Delaney Walker is the best example, right? Uh, okay. uh, kind of a, an athletic, dangerous with the ball in his hands, uh, can is a very good blocker, uh, can, you know, arc block and block on the line of scrimmage, can give you some reps as a running back if you really wanted to. I, I think there's a lot of these guys in college, you know, and that's the thing is that there, I think that you can find these guys in the Urban Myers offenses and the. I was you know, going to say, some uh, of these, what about Aaron Hernandez? Well, Hernandez, I think, yeah, I mean, as far as prototype and body type, absolutely. Like, I mean, that's exactly the kind of guy that, you know, you, you could find in these kind of spots. And, um, you know, move tight end is another name for these guys. But, yeah, I think those kind of guys who can motion, can can uh, shift, can create mismatches, can help you identify what defenses are going to be. You know, it, it's like the kind of thing is when you're, like, laying out who's going to be your, your, your uh, skill players on any given play, you could put a fourth receiver down there who is just a slightly less – Valuable, uh, slightly less you know, good receiver than the guy who's right above him, and then you can match him up right. against a cornerback who's their fourth cornerback, who's a slightly less good version of the cornerback that's on the field, and just see maybe my guy's better than your guy. Or what you could do is put out a fullback out there, see how they uh, how they respond to it. Maybe they don't have a good response to it, and then suddenly your fourth option actually is a great option because it's a mis- mismatch player. I think that's really the difference is that you're taking advantage you're squeezing the juice out of the entire the entirety of the offense, right? You're taking advantage of every mismatch down to the 11th player in your personnel package. Right. We're going to have to have a, a bigger conversation about H-back sometime because this is like you, it's a, a, a position I'm very passionate about. I think there's guys in the NFL now that could really do it well uh, yeah. that haven't been utilized that way. Uh, Trey Burton is maybe one of my favorite examples of it. Another Urban Meyer guy from Florida. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll have a deeper conversation about this sometime this summer. Uh, but that is it for today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Landon at McCoolBCB. You can follow the show at Locked on Cowboys. And I'm at Marcus underscore Mosier. And we will see you guys next time. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.